0: We interrupt this broadcast with some important news. Let's rewind and check out the biggest news stories from this week. It's time 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 for Taiwan This Week. Good evening and welcome to Taiwan This Week with me, your host Gavin Phipps. And I'm joined in the studio this evening by new Power Party member, Xiao Sheng. Hello, everyone. And regular ICRT commentator Brian Hugh of New Bloom Media. Thanks for having me. Tonight we'll be discussing Uber's seemingly never-ending operational dispute, concerns that the Solomon Islands is teetering on dropping Taiwan, the ractopamine issue, and a visit by a US Agricultural Department trade mission, appointments for gay marriage registration beginning in Taipei, and a smart new all-blue police uniform. But we'll begin with kaohsiung Mayor Han Yu and the KMT this week voting to adopt special guidelines for the nomination of its 2020 presidential candidate in order to include him in the primary. Now, the party's central standing committee says the move is aimed at allowing all potential presidential hopefuls to be included in the primary process, and the nomination schedule will be announced in May, and the KMT says the primary will not begin until after June. Now, the move comes after Han told reporters during a very, very brief media briefing on Tuesday that he can't run in the Primary under its existing system at this point in time. Now Han at that very brief press interview also said that Gaoshung can only be better off when Taiwan becomes better off and that only when Taiwan changes can he really transform Gaoshung. And it was a rather very odd press conference, like I keep saying, and the mayor then walked out after about four minutes and didn't take any questions from the media. Now the adoption of the special primary guidelines by the KMT is also expected to benefit Hon Hai Chairman terry gore who of course announced his plans to seek the party's 2020 nomination last week now gore's got a bit of a problem with the primary because he failed apparently to renew his kmt membership since 2000 which has brought into question his qualifications to actually participate in the kmt primary of course a check for 46 million nt might have helped brian
1: well I think that's right. Um Terry Go has been angling at the presidential nomination for the KMT for some time. That includes lending the KMT money under uh when Hong Siu-chu was chair as a way of uh consolidating his support within the party and showing that he does care about the stake the future of the party. Um and money talks with the KMT perhaps now having a little bit less finances due to the party assets probe. Terry Goh has been touted as a candidate that could potentially fund himself. And that's part of the reason why he's been appealing. But in the last year, he's unexpectedly been overshadowed by Han Gory, who actually does have a somewhat similar public persona. Um, he's uh, loud and outspoken, uh, direct, and also has a business background, or at least he claims to have one. And so it's, it's been an unusual turn of events. I think uh, Han was angling to get drafted. He did not want to... Uh, Fight it out with everyone else. He thought his position would be stronger that way. But it's a question, does he want the presidency or not?
0: And Xiao, I mean, you, you work for a political party. I mean, they, they're changing the primary system and the, no, the, no, the nomination system. Ongoing. What do yeah, you think of that? that it's a bit
2: that, odd. That is not, not never a good idea to change the uh, primary system in the middle of. Uh, the primary season, right? Um, so Han Yu actually came out and then gave a, a really like a cryptic announcement. I mean, initially nobody knew what, what he meant. <laughs> uh, and then a lot of people, you know, dug into uh, what exactly was the intention behind his statements. And then we realized that he's basically saying that, oh, I really wanted to run, but I don't want to participate in any primaries. And that makes sense, right? Because uh, he's just been elected as mayor of Kaohsiung. And then it would look really bad if he just came out and said, I want to run another uh, presidential election again. And then it's, he will have a hard time um, convincing people to vote for him because he, he's basically going to abandon, you know, the city that just elected mayor. So it's understandable why he came out and said that, okay, yeah, I, I really want to give the, this president Election, presidential election, then a, a try, but I, I wouldn't really, you know, be forcefully seeking any, uh, any nomination. So if you want me to run, just draft me. That's what basically what he's saying. And then Terry Crowe is, um, it's pretty interesting. I mean, from what we can tell, he's been, you know, pushed out by the, uh, you know, the other side of the base of KNT, which is the side who is not, you know, is been fed up with these hangui phenomenon, right? Because if you look. Deep into it, you know the, the the traditional KMT supporters are uh a little bit, uh, no, uh, not a little bit, uh, very different than the uh, the, the so called the Han Yu fans, right? The Han fans are these basic working type of people who are who are very excited about his message of bringing in the uh, money and then bringing jobs, but the the classic KMT supporters are more away, you know. Classy, may um, probably drink wines and more fluent. <laughs> so, um, so these two camps are pretty much at war with each other right now. And then Guo, Terry Go is their representative uh, battling with Han Guo Yu.
1: It's quite interesting because uh, despite the fact that there was the speculation for a long time as to whether Go would seek the presidency, and now he finally has done this through a very strange announcement, and this actually coming very late, um, he could have done this much earlier to try to you know get around or even prevent the Han phenomenon from becoming so big. media attention has still focused disproportionately on Han, and so I think Han still does have the advantage there. Um, you know you look at well, I timed actually ten minutes of CTI the other day while I was eating dinner. Eight minutes about Han, two minutes about Terry Goh. I'm assuming
2: you're not watching <laughs> um, <laughs> Zhongtian. Okay. I mean Yeah, I mean uh,
1: you know, during dinner when, I, when it's on in the restaurant and so forth. Um, yeah, it's
2: not surprising.
1: Yeah, it's not surprising. And it is, as you say, that Han does not want to come off as overly ambitious. Uh, again, he was just elected mayor of Kaohsiung. Um, he also wants, I think, get around infighting with the party heavyweights such as Eric Chu or Wu Dunyi, who you know stepped out eventually, and, uh, and so forth, and other contenders, and, and also his former benefactor, Wang Jingping. In order to, to get the presidency, that upsets people within the party. People know that he wants it, though, and I think that his aims are actually quite high up. Uh, he did actually previously run for KMT chair, um, and so I think that's almost something that's forgotten, that he actually did want to become the head of the party at a certain point. He wanted to become a, a meteoric candidate that appeared from nowhere and became a superstar, similar to actually Hong xiu Um I think at that point, he was trying to replicate that model. And eventually, he did manage to do that as mayor, as someone who just came from nowhere and became very prominent. Um, and his, his ambitions might actually be quite high. And so he definitely, I think he will actually want to run for president.
0: Because, of course, apparently, Xiao, it was Ma Ying-jo that talked Harry Guo into running. Whereas, of course, as Brian pointed out, Wang Jinping was a big backer of Guo Yu. And, of course, Wang Jinping is trying to run in the primary.
2: Yeah, exactly. Wang Jinping is the one that insists insisting on a, a primary that's going to, that should take place no matter who is running, um, because you know he he doesn't really stand a chance if the party is going to draft you know a star candidate. Um, but if he's gonna you know he's gonna do very well if the primary is taking place because his uh, his basic power is in 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 the uh, in the in in the, all the uh, the you know people who's going to vote in the primaries. Um, and Hangul is really um, you know clever in in coming out and announced this way because he he actually knows quite well that the you phenomenon is um not gonna last very long. He's already seen in the polls that his um um you know the, the satisfaction ratings picking up and then people begin to examine his slogans, his messages of on economy and all oh, whatnot and beginning to find that there's nothing that's backing those messages up. Um and then his uh, overseas trips uh, not going so well right his u uh, s trip is not being received as, as a success, and he and also there 's one thing that people begin to see that he his health is not quite well i mean he needs to take a lot of rest between the uh, his trips <laughs> and then a lot of people vacations. yeah begin to have doubts that if he 's going to survive uh, in the presidential run
0: right let 's move on from politics and talk about cars vehicles taxis or possibly taxes, as the seemingly never-ending Uber saga returned to the front pages this week, with protests by Uber drivers in front of the Presidential Office and in front of the Ministry of Transport <gasps> Building. Now, the drivers were voicing their anger over planned revisions to the regulations for automobile transportation operators, which have been dubbed the Uber Article, and were meant to come into effect today. But, of course, they haven't because the government says it's opted to delay the Article's enactment due to what they're saying, the need for legal preparation to be made and relevant measures introduced before it can come into effect. Now the revisions if and when they come into effect will ban rental car companies and their drivers from being able to cruise for passengers or schedule shifts to accommodate customers calling for a ride and it also requires rental car companies to charge fares based on an hourly or daily rate. Now the Ministry of Transport is also calling on Uber to register as a taxi service saying that it could spend 5 million NT to set up a taxi company and have its 10,000 or so drivers obtain a taxi driver's licence and operation permits so they shout Uber back in the news possible changes to it but of course they're anti it
2: Yes, um, but I have to disclose that I am uh, front and center in this debate, so i've been publishing a lot of articles um calling on for support of Uber because uh well first of all i am a technologist, and uh, i when I ran a campaign, I ran on a platform of uh improving you know taiwan's technology future um so what the issues I read really at stake here is uh innovation versus regulation versus productional protectionism right um so uber people are calling that uber should be registered as a taxi service well on the surface of it it's it's true but when you dig into this issue you'll see that uh, in in Taiwan the regulation on taxis are really really outdated um and it's designed uh from Throughout many years to serve the industry uh, to serve the taxi industry, and the industry lobbyists have been lobbying very hard um, on you know whatever the regulation that they want and to keep protecting their uh, their, their, their industry in their, their ecosystem so this ecosystem is really closed, and our uh, uh, innovative innovative um, Service like Uber um, to get into that industry and then survive and then and, and then keep doing the the um, model to profit. It's really really hard. So what I propose is that the government should actually come up with the with a special regulation that that's tailored towards um, this so called a uh, share economy like Uber and Airbnb and then not force them into the existing industries where the laws and regulations are not designed to uh, to that. The fair competition uh, take place.
1: Um, yeah, I, I do think it's the case in Taiwan that taxi companies have not been very innovative because there is no competition. Um, one notes that taxi companies have been slow to adapt, for example, apps in terms of calling for taxis until there is competition from Uber. Um, at the same time, this is a debate that's been had across the world with sharing industry uh, companies such as Uber or Airbnb in which the existing model it doesn't fit the existing model and so there's the attempt to kind of uh, block it from happening. Um, at the same time, though, I also am more of just jumping on board with technological trends because they seem advanced. I mean, Uber... As a company has been willing to deceive the government, for example, in New York City, they have a false version of the app uh, for police to use. That police, if they were trying to use Uber to look at drivers, the the app would send them false information. Um, That being said, you know, also Uber, you know, these are drivers. These are workers, uh, I guess you could say, of Uber demonstrating. But Uber sometimes does not treat them that well. So I also have that concern. Um, I think those are things that regulations should address.
0: Right, because Uber is meant to be worth a lot of money.
1: Yes. Um, you mean the company itself?
0: The company itself, yeah.
2: Yeah, the company itself is uh, worth a lot of money. And then it's, it's, in many countries, uh, Uber is facing uh, up battles to get legalized, right? But there's another issue here. I mean, it's whether Taiwan um, is going to you know, let itself be seen as a reliable environment for foreign investment. For example, because two years ago Uber was kicked out of Taiwan, but then the Ministry of Transportation you know proposed an idea to let them legalize here and work with the lease car um, industry uh, so they 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 operate on top of the you know the rental and lease car industry um, but then Two years later, uh, they say, no, no bad idea. Sorry, go back to taxi again. You still need to register as a taxi. So this, you, you propose a regulation and let the industry operate and then you take away their footing underneath them. It's a really, really bad image for Taiwan as being a reliable environment for foreign investment.
0: But one could argue that the government is saying Uber could spend 5 million NT$ and then set up a taxi company and then have all its 10,000 drivers that it boasts to have obtain taxi driver's licenses and get an operating permit. Obviously, if Uber's worth so much money, 5 million NT is not a lot of money. Yeah, that,
2: That's not a lot of money, that's true. But the the, the, the issue at stake here is that the taxi regulation is hostile to the operating model of Uber because Uber cannot operate under a fixed fare, fixed taxi fare. Um, because if you open up Uber on a rainy day, the fare is different when you open up on a sunny day because it's a demand-based model. And then the taxi regulation just doesn't have that. So that's why Uber cannot register as a taxi. It's not because they will not or not willing to.
1: I'm um, always wondering, you know, in terms of the inconsistent government stance on this, you know, or is this actually coming from people that have ever used this app or know what this is about? Sometimes there's that issue with the uh, uh, shifts in models. At the same time, I think that, Uber has been willing to be a disruptive actor in many locations, just, you know, continuing to defy the law, uh racking up fines, severe fines, and then, you know, because they do have a lot of money behind them, just eventually hoping to push for a change in the laws because they can just keep paying off the fines and keep operating. And the saga of Uber in Taiwan has been a strange one in terms of, you know, for example, offering food delivery as a way to get into the market and then offering uh, becoming, you know, a taxi company and so forth. Uh and that has been actually the way it's just gotten into different companies uh, – in different countries. It's adopted different models to get in because it, it attempts to outlast the competition that way. Um, I don't know if that's a positive thing all the time. Um, I'm not as sure that it works out well for uh, consumers or workers. Um, and sometimes governments are just left at the mercy of this, tech, uh, this large tech company.
0: I mean apparently Uber is – Taiwan is Uber's biggest market apparently now.
1: Um, I'm
2: I'm not sure about that. Ooh, wow, <laughs> yeah, that, I'm that not sure because like, it's pretty big in in the U.S. I, I, when I was in New York, I, I took Uber I, all the Asia's, time. Yeah. Asia's uh, in rocket. Asia. Oh, yes, yeah, well, yes, because in other places in Asia, it's uh, in China, it's it's almost you know fading out, and in Southeast Asia, it's been taken over by Grab, which is like similar service like Uber. Um, so as I say, yeah, it, it, if Taiwan has a, has, a, has a friendly environment for foreign investment not only Uber but also like Grab or, or the Lyft the, the other you know, tech calling company will want to invest here and now just recently AIT joined the chorus of calling on the DPP government to rethink their policy change because Taiwan cannot you know be seen as, as hostile to foreign investment um, and we need to really be, let the innovation companies take root here and then bring more uh, capital and, and people and working in Taiwan
1: Yeah, I mean, just I think it's a question. Uh, I mean, there's a—it's interesting to me that there's been no domestic, for example, ride-sharing company. Whereas, for example, in China, Uber was not able to get in because of competition from ride-sharing companies. But as with other contexts, I think that it's still going to be a debated issue. I mean, the the global debate on issues on Uber is not settled. So in Taiwan, I think that's also the case.
0: Right, now we'll move on from taxes and talk about foreign affairs, where the Ministry of Foreign Affairs this week was paying very close attention to the political situation in the Solomon Islands, ahead of a vote for Prime Minister there. Now, Manasseh Sogavare was voted in as Prime Minister this Wednesday, but there was and there still is slight concern here in Taiwan on whether his ba- basically has to have a coalition government and whether or not it will seek to sever ties with Taiwan in favour of Beijing. Now, prior to the vote on Wednesday, the country's now former acting Prime Minister, Rick Ho, was quoted by various publications as saying that diplomatic ties with Taipei would be reviewed following Wednesday's ballot.
1: Um, that's right, and it's another one of these uh, stories that comes up continuously. Are these remaining diplomatic allies of Taiwan going to break ties or not? Uh, and that can be actually for these countries, which are much smaller in terms of population, economy, uh, geographic size than Taiwan. It's a big debate, actually. as a time to switch ties to China. And it oftentimes, obviously, seems more lucrative to go with the bigger one. The one is the rising power in the world. Um, and in this case, it's quite interesting. Again, it's, it's, a, it's a domestic issue. It's tied to their elections. It's an object of contention between the the, the the different parties in the Solomon Islands. Um, and sometimes I think people in Taiwan are not always cognizant of the influence that this can have on these small countries which Taiwan is allied with. Um, for example, just actually a lot of the money that Taiwan gives to the Solomon Islands, as with also uh, Nauru, goes into a discretionary fund that politicians are allowed access to, but it's not very clear what they're doing with this money. Um, you know, sometimes it goes to projects that people never see happen. And so this, this goes back to dollar diplomacy during the ROC, and some of these questions are still not resolved. It still happens, but... Um, You know, it's understandably an issue there, I think, politically.
2: Yeah, I mean, Solomon Island has been uh, a a traditional and strong ally of of Republic of China or Taiwan, but no one really want to see them, you know, break ties with us. But however, uh, in recent years, Taiwan has gained uh, support of many international partners, you know, who spoke out against China's aggressions and who called on many uh, international organizations to let Taiwan join. For example, the the United States has issued strong warnings against countries who um, bow to China's pressure and then uh, cut ties with Taiwan. Um, And also just recently, uh, we see that the French warship passed through the Taiwan Strait uh, in a clear show of force um, to to make sure the Indo-Pacific region has has, has security. Um, But... It's so. It's time to really rethink the the outdated strategy of buying the support of our friends in the uh, international community, because uh, if Taiwan, you know, continues championing our core values like democracy, rule of law, and human rights, um, the free world will see that protecting these values pretty much amounts to protecting Taiwan's uh, continued independence. So uh, what I th- what I see is um, this this foreign policy. Uh, Of keeping, you know, like Brian said, the dollar diplomacy is is really, um, really, really old thinking. And then in this day and age, we should really uh, go into the new direction.
0: But of course, as you said, Brian, the discretionary fund where politicians in certain countries Mm -hmm. in the Pacific use, that is open to corruption because China offers more money for this discretionary Mm -hmm. fund. Probably 99.9% <laughs> of these politicians are going to go, yes, I want more money for my discretionary funds. That's true.
1: And so I think the, the issue of corruption would not go away with China's there. And uh, the other thing is that some of these... Uh diplomatic allies of Taiwan are actually well located geographically for China to expand its influence, particularly in uh, you know, the Pacific Ocean and so forth. And so that actually, you know, China does have a geostrategic aim there as well, which is quite interesting, and I think also undiscussed. Um, and of course, you know, if there are corrupt politicians that maybe the ROC is currently buying off now, well, the PRC can do that maybe much better. Um, And that's an issue, and uh, it just won't go away. I think actually, you know, we talk about Taiwan as being caught between uh, stronger powers, well, so forth, with these smaller countries as well, maybe even more so. And I think whenever this happens, whenever there's talk of uh, breaking ties, the people who get caught in between are, let's say, the students that came to Taiwan on a scholarship from these countries because of these diplomatic ties, and they're just kind of marooned. And, you know, sometimes I've even met some of them, and some of them are just like, they really want to stay here. They actually do like Taiwan. and they've gained valuable opportunities because of this, these ties, but that just goes up in the air when there's the breaking of ties. Right.
0: What about the new power party, Xiao? I mean, what does it stand on these diplomatic allies? Does it, does it is it concerned about losing them, or does it think maybe Taiwan could do other things if it loses, like the Solomon Islands, etc.? It could do things that aren't basically officially diplomatic
2: with countries. Exactly. That's uh, that, that's, that's our stance. That the, um, we 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 hate to see any losing of our allies. But we don't, you know, support the, this uh, traditional dollar diplomacy. And just as Brian said, if you're throwing money at the problem, uh, we cannot outthrow uh, with China. So this strategy is really, really old. And then, and in recent years, we see that the international community has been really amping up support for for Taiwan. And then the the the, the, the uh, President Tsai Ing-wen is doing a really great job, you know, securing you know stronger Taiwan U.S. Ties, especially with these, uh, all these, uh, you know, Taiwan Relations Act forty years anniversary events taking place all over Taiwan, and, and in these past few months, so uh, we see that um, because if we want the international community support, we need to show what. The Taiwan's value is what Taiwan's you know, strategic position is in the fight against you know, authoritarian regimes like, like China and then to, to fight against these uh, human rights abuses like what's happening in Hong Kong, in Tibet and in uh, East, uh, East uh, like Turkestan so um, the, all this is what values that Taiwan should champion and we should let you know, the, the world see that this is our value and then they should you know, uh, support that
0: Right, we have to take a short break now, but we'll be right back after these important commercials. Welcome back to Taiwan this week and a trade mission from the United States Department of Agriculture visited the island this week and while officials from both sides explained its purpose was to seek and build ties and explore business opportunities in the agricultural sector talk of course also focused on the thorny issue of ractopamine with the USDA Foreign Agricultural Service Chief Ken Isley saying that they were frank discussions regarding the leanless enhancer and he said that Taiwan's tide understands U.S. requests that it fully commit to provide access to all U.S. pork and beef offal products, which, of course, the U.S. wants Taiwan to import, ractopamine products. But the Council of Agriculture explained at the meeting that Taiwan has no plans in the immediate future to lift the ban on ractopamine unless... Well, so the Agriculture Minister is being quoted as saying, unless... There's talk of a US free trade agreement thrown in with that. So, Brian, ractopamine, we've talked about it numerous times before, but now some, a government official has been caught saying, well, we'll talk about it if there's an FTA
1: thrown in. Which is actually quite an interesting uh, development because then you know you do have a proposal of an FTA between the US and Taiwan in that case. Uh, ractopamine is a thorny issue in Taiwan. Um, it's not allowed in 180 of the world's 200 or so countries, um, but it is in the US and under pr- provisions of, of free trade agreements and so forth, Or uh, you're supposed to allow... uh, countries with equivalent food safety levels to import their foods to each other, and that usually would mean ractopamine uh, products being allowed in from the United States to a country like Taiwan. But uh, it's one of these thorny food issues in Taiwan, along with, for example, food imports from Fukushima, and it's also one of these uh, from Fukushima-affected areas in Japan. And it's one of these issues in which uh, a food product that a potential ally of Taiwan wants to make sure Taiwan imports it causes it causes health issues with the uh, population, or there's concerns about health issues being caused by them, um, and so that's kind of the this that's why it's been such a long issue. And you know, this is actually the first time there's been such an agricultural mission to Taiwan uh, as a sign of stronger trade ties and uh, political ties. And so it's not surprising that this this old issue, which has been around for such a long time, would come up almost immediately.
2: Yeah, I mean let's um, let's review a brief uh, history on on the import of U.S. pork in Taiwan. So pretty much in 2005. So Taiwan allows a full import of U.S. port. Um, but in 2006, the uh, the food additive uh, clambuterol poisoning happened in China. So without any um, investigation or scientific evaluations, the Taiwan's authority banned food additives both of uh, clambuterol and rectopamine. And up until now, the authority still have has not completed any scientific evaluation of, um, of if, whether it's safe or how much of it is safe and then they just ban the import outright. So, um, although for me, um, it's politically incorrect to to, to call for any lift of bans of of, of, uh, rectopamine um, U.S. pork, but as a member of WTO, I mean, any decision to ban an import needs to have sufficient scientific proof and reasoning and follow generally accepted principles of the the WTO member nations. Um, So we cannot just, you know... um, Unilaterally ban any food items without any backing of it, just because it's political expedient. So um, I would say I have no problem of lifting or not lifting the import, uh, um, the ban on the import, as long as there's a scientifically solid investigation and evaluation of, uh, of, of the rectum
0: of course, Brian, scientific valuations don't do much for voters, especially pig farmers.
1: Oh, that's true. And this is another one of these issues in which uh, free trade with uh, larger countries stands to affect domestic agriculture. And so that's another uh, issue at stake. Uh, you know, when Taiwan joined the WTO, that had enormous effect on Taiwan's farmers, for example, um, with the entering of uh, agricultural products from larger, more powerful countries, including America, um, you know, with regards to some of the other goods that were also represented in the trade missions, such as rice or soy and so forth. Um, and that's that's also, that's also why it's a it's a heated issue and has been to date. Um, the effects of what that could be on domestic industry are, are still so unclear. But I think the, the primary political issue is hinged on this is the health issue. And um, again, you know, one hundred eighty countries in the world don't allow it. But there, it's it's not clear what the long term effects of it are. Just that this has been uh, introduced in America as a way to make cows develop uh, more fat or more more lean meat and so forth. Um, but I think if that scientific investigation were to take place in Taiwan, it would become very politi- quickly politicized. Um, it has been jumped on as an issue by the KMT to block ties with America in the past before. Um, at the same time, the DPP or uh, people that want closer ties with with America will probably downplay the issue. Um, so we'll have to see. I mean, I think most memorable was maybe uh, William Stanton actually did this thing where he he barbecued American beef and served it to people as, as a kind of a demonstration of its safety at one point. So America has been trying to push for this, being allowed to Taiwan for a long time. Um, personally, I always find that it's somewhat disappointing, though, that just so much ties in terms of politics hinges on making sure Taiwan is accessible to American meat products, regardless of what the safety of uh, Taiwanese consumers is.
0: Because, of course, the, the beef issue we had before with the previous mm-hmm. administration yeah. got politicized. I believe it was Long Bing in Taipei, of course, mm-hmm.
1: Work for, work, works for a party that let the beef in, mm. but then turned around and said, no, the pork, we can't have the pork. Mm. And so that's one of these issues that jumps around um, strangely between political parties. Sometimes it's expedient for them to allow these products in, and sometimes it isn't. I mean, that's also why the KMT, for example, jumped on board with opposing food imports from Fukushima, despite the fact that they are so pro-nuclear. Um, you know, just is way to block close relations between Taiwan and Japan. Exactly.
0: I think they're pro nuclear power, not pro people turning green. Seems like it. Yeah. That's what they claim. <laughs> Now, the Taipei City Government this week announced that household registration offices have begun accepting appointments to register same-sex marriages from May the 24th, the day the Constitutional Court has set for same-sex marriage to be legalised here. Of course, the move comes, despite the central government's failure, to complete any legal amendments which actually legalise same-sex marriage. Now, according to the City Government, those who register will receive updated household certificates and identification cards which indicate their marriage has been registered. Now, no other Cities or counties have announced a date on which they'll start accepting appointments to register same-sex marriage as is required by the Constitutional Court ruling. And I spoke with Deutsche Welle's Taiwan correspondent, William Young, about what Taipei's decision to open up same-sex marriage registration means. Good evening, William. Good evening, Gavin. So, Taipei's actions, I mean, what do they mean for both the capital and the rest of Taiwan?
3: I think for the capital, uh, it just pretty much means that it's the first step for the government level to start making moves to uh, really fulfill the court ruling that was uh, being handed down two years ago because we've known that uh, since the court ruling there have been a lot of uh, struggles and challenges uh, facing the legalization of same-sex marriage so this move announced by the Taipei uh, city government uh, is really, really uh, being well received and also considered as the first move to uh, put pressure both on the central government and also uh, the legislature to uh, proceed with finalizing all the required steps to legalize Uh, same-sex marriage. And as for Taiwan uh, overall, I think uh, this definitely, uh, again, serve as an example for the rest of the uh, city and uh, municipal governments uh, across the island that, uh, you know, there are uh, governments that is already starting to uh, taking this issue seriously and then uh, preparing for uh, what could be a watershed moment for uh, human rights, LGBT rights in Taiwan or even Asia. So uh, I, I think, again, uh, for Taipei City government to set an example like this is uh, both symbolically and practically very important for Taiwan.
0: I and mean, do you think Kaohsiung, Taichung will, will come next or do you think other places, maybe Jai or Shinzhu or Hualien?
3: I think definitely the municipal districts uh, that you just mentioned uh, will have to definitely uh, be prepared for the large amount of uh, same-sex couples who are looking to register uh, and become legally uh, married uh, spouses uh, in those places, because uh, at the end of the day, we know uh, it seems to be the trend that a lot more uh, same-sex couples are living in these municipal centers uh, than Uh, in other parts of uh, Taiwan. Uh, One thing that's uh, worth noting is that uh, even the county government of Zhanghua County uh, has also uh, publicly requested the central government to uh, finalize the necessary steps uh, for legalizing marriage equality and, uh, you know, developing the nationwide system uh, that could prepare all governments across the island to uh, register sex couples on May twenty-fourth. So that just means that uh, this is not just an issue that uh, will be taken seriously by these uh, major municipal centers, but also even for uh, smaller counties uh, like Zhanghua. Uh, They are looking to be prepared for uh, the influx of sex couples.
0: But do you think there will be any counties or cities that may be holding out and they'll wait until the last minute before they actually open up registration?
3: I think there hasn't really been a clear precedence of uh, which counties are more against uh, the, you know, the legalization of same-sex marriage uh, leading up to, since you know the discussion started in 2015. However, uh, I actually think uh, the holdout could possibly still happen uh, at the legislature level because we know that uh, the KMT proposed a uh, counter uh, draft. Uh, amendment to the Civil Code to restrict again the use of the word marriage to only uh, the relationship between heterosexual couples. Uh, so, and, and then uh, even though that propo- motion was a uh, strike down uh, in the legislature by the DPP and MPP, but uh, we just don't know if the uh, anti-marriage equality groups and the uh, opposition party have more up their sleeves to, you know, prolong and uh, uh, delay the whole process. So this is really up to the uh, Democratic uh, Progressive Party and their allies to step up their game and be very decisive about this because uh, we're really running out of time. And if uh, the necessary and uh, corresponding legal uh, details are not in place when uh, the whole registration officially kicks off on May 24th, there could actually be a nationwide chaos because uh, for the local household registration officials, they don't really have anything to refer to officially. So they, you know, they're like, and and then, like like you said, that uh, could lead to some of the governments unwilling to register same-sex couples, based on the fact that there is no uh, legal base for them to know how to register these couples, and then like what kind of rights they would uh, enjoy, uh, you know, a- a- as married couples.
0: Right, because that could end up making the Tsai administration look rather stupid.
3: Yes, uh, for sure, because uh, again, we know that. the supreme court helped the thai government a lot by advancing the, end, the uh, process of the whole uh, legalization uh, 2 years ago and then we again know how you know, the government pretty much like dragged their feet and like did not act quick enough onto finishing all the the, the rest of the process which supposedly should be fairly easy uh, because they already have the uh, backing and support from the supreme court so, if the Thai government failed to deliver this, uh, this beyond May 24th, that would just, again, uh, be a big blow to uh Taiwan's Wen's uh, progressive, the so called progressive uh, value and agenda that she, I think, is hoping to revive uh, leading up to the 2020 presidential election.
0: That was me in conversation with Deutsche Welle's Taiwan correspondent, William Young. And before we go this week, the police here in Taiwan have been enjoying their first full week with their glitzy new uniform. Now, the new on-duty uniform does away with the drab grey shirt and the often ill-fitting pants, and instead boasts a blue shirt with more pockets and a special place, well, designed for a body camera, so don't hang it around your neck. And now, while the old dress pants have been replaced by tighter-fitting cargo pants, again with more pockets. Now, there's also a new blue cap, which although still including a peak, bears less resemblance to a baseball cap than the old one due to its more squarish design. Now, the previous uniforms had been in service since 1988. An old boy, on occasion, you'd see a policeman wearing one that actually looked like that. Now, the public of course, as well as the police themselves, were consulted over the new design for the uniform. So, Brian, is it fetching? Is is the new police uniform (laughs) fetching? Could we describe it as fetching if we work for a fashion magazine? I think
1: it does look more up-to-date. You know, the old uniform had a, a gray uh, shirt and blue pants. Um, this one is, is one color. It's it's all dark blue. Um, but I also wonder, just, you know, given what Taiwan's weather is, it's always hot all the time. And though the uniform is designed to reduce uh, to, to be better with the heat than the old uniform, it's also just a darker color. It will absorb more sunshine. So I, I just wondered about that. I mean, maybe the public chose it on the basis of aesthetics and not really functionality in that respect.
2: Yeah, it really, really look uh, pretty good. I mean, I've been seeing the new uh, uniforms on the street. And uh, personally, I, I really think they look a lot better than the uh, the old uniforms and very functional. I check out what their, all these functionalities, a lot of pockets, a lot of, um, you know, cargo bags um, with all their gadgets. But however, I just can't, you know, get used to seeing them in, on that new uniform. I mean, many... Uh, many times I've I mistaken them as a, as um, some security guards of nearby stores.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's what ha- actually happened to me. I think the last uniform <laughs> did actually have a more distinctive profile from distance. You know, you see someone wearing right. gray and blue in those shades, and you see from distance that's a police officer. Right. But this the same shade; it could just be anybody, really.
2: So see that they'll get more, uh, you know, like speeding tickets because people. Can I see them.
1: <laughs> that's very possible. Yeah. At night. At night. Like exactly. a hide at night. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like a yeah ninja there, we go. there we go.
0: And what about the new cap, which is a bit of an ugly-looking baseball cap?
1: Yeah, I think the other one looked very, uh, very casual. Just as though as there was some kind of you know, just they're just wearing a random baseball hat well, with a police uniform. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, this one does seem more, more. Uh, it seems larger. I mean, it's, it's uniform-like. Be, yeah, more uniform-like. That's that's right. Um, although they could go with the let's say. I don't know what they're called, like the more military-style hats, I suppose. But um, it also does seem to block sunshine more, I guess. I mean, I think that's the purpose, really, of the old, the captain general. I mean, Taiwan, again, just there's beating sunshine during the summer.
3: <laughs>
2: yeah, I, I have no comments on the hat. I mean, <laughs> just overall, they look they look good and reminds me of NYPD. I mean, so this is because of the color and the uniform. So I would really like them.
1: <laughs> blue. So blue was better than black. Um I guess it's more distinctive in terms of police. You, you associate blue with police. I mean, black, you know, I think paramilitary or something. That looks a little menacing, maybe. It also does absorb sunshine more if it's black.
2: Yeah, I agree with Brian.
0: Right. And that's where we'll leave it here this week on Taiwan This Week. I've been joined in the studio today by the new power party's Xiaoxing Sheng. Good night. And Brian Hugh from New Bloom. Good night. Thanks for tuning in to this week's edition of Taiwan This Week here on ICRT with me, Gavin Phipps. And don't forget to check out Taiwan This Week podcasts on iTunes and Android podcast apps where you can get access to all our previous shows. Tune in again next Friday evening at 8 for another informative look at the top stories of the week with Taiwan This Week. And don't forget to also check out our podcast on our website, icrt.com.tw. Now
3: keep it here for more music and news, only on ICRT FM 100.